we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. Is happiness found through discipline? By practicing a certain rule, a certain discipline, a mode of conduct, are you ever free? Hello and welcome to episode 173 of Urgency of Change. Each episode of the Krishnamurti podcast is compiled from carefully chosen extracts from our archives representing different approaches to many of the fundamental issues and questions we all face in our lives. This week's theme is Discipline. Upcoming themes are Spirituality, Pain and Responsibility. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. Please visit our updated website at kfoundation.org where you can find a new introduction to Krishnamurti, a growing collection of articles, a wide selection of quotes, and a new index of topics for easy access to carefully selected texts and recordings. Our online store stocks all available Krishnamurti books and ships worldwide. You can also find our regular quotes and videos on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review or rating on Apple Podcasts, which helps our visibility. This week's episode on discipline has three sections. This first extract is from Krishnamurti's fifth talk in Ojai, 1949, titled Why Do We Discipline Ourselves? Most of us want someone in authority to tell us what to do. We look for a direction in conduct, because our instinct is to be safe, not to suffer more. Someone has realized happiness, bliss, what you will, and we hope that he will tell us what to do, to arrive there. But that's what we want. We want that same happiness, that same inward quietness, joy, whatever you will. And in this mad world of confusion, we want someone to tell us what to do. That is really the basic instinct with most of us. And according to that instinct, 
we pattern our action. Is God, is that highest thing unnameable and not to be measured by words, is that come by discipline, by following a particular pattern of action? If you are interested, let's go into it. We want to arrive at a particular goal, particular end. And we think by practice, by disciplining ourselves, suppressing or releasing, sublimating or substituting, we shall be able to find that which we are seeking. What is implied in discipline? Why do we discipline ourselves? If we do, I doubt if we do, but why do we do it? Now seriously, why do we do it? Is discipline and intelligence, can they go together? So let us inquire into it fully and see how far goes to this matter. Because most people feel that you must, through some kind of discipline, subjugate, control the brute, the, the ugly thing in us. And is that brute, the ugly thing, controllable through discipline? What do we mean by discipline? A course of action which promises a reward, a, which course of action, if pursued, will give us what we want. It may be positive or negative. A pattern of conduct which will, if practiced diligently, sedulously, very, very ardently, will give me what I want at the end. It may be painful, but I am willing to go through it to get that. That is, the self, which is aggressive, selfish, hypocritical, anxious, fearful, you know, the whole of it, that self, which is the cause of the brute in us, we want to transform it, give it
subjugate, destroy. And how is this to be done? Is it to be done through discipline or through an intelligent understanding of the parts of the self, what the self is, how it comes into being and so on? That is, shall we destroy the brute in man through compulsion or through intelligence? And is intelligence a matter of discipline? Let us for the time being forget what the saints and all the rest people have said. And I do not know if they have said it. Not that I am an expert on saints. but. Let us go into the matter for ourselves as though you are for the first time looking at this problem. Then we shall have something creative at the end of it, not just quotations of what other people have said, which is so vain and useless. We first say that in us there is conflict, the black against the white, anger against peace, and so on, greed against non-greed. I am greedy, which creates pain, and to be rid of that greed I must discipline myself, that is, resist any form of conflict which gives me pain, which I call greed. Antisocial, give it, uh, it is antisocial, it is unethical, it is not saintly, and so on, so on, so on. Various social religious reasons we want to resist. Is greed destroyed or put away from us through compulsion. First let us examine the process involved in suppression, in compulsion, in putting it away, resisting. What happens when you do that, when you resist greed? Who is the thing that is resisting greed? That's the question first. Why do you resist greed? And who is the entity that says, I must be free of greed? The entity that says, I must be free, is also greed, is he not? Because up to now, greed has paid him. And now it is painful, therefore he says, I must get rid of it. The motive to get rid of it is still a process of greed, because he wants to be something which he is not. I don't know. Because now non-greed is profitable. So I am pursuing non-greed. 
But the motive, the intention, is still to be something, to be non-greedy, which is still greed, surely. Which is again a negative form of the emphasis of the me. So, being greedy, we find that it is painful for various reasons, which are obvious. As long as we enjoy it, as long as we are, um, it is paying us to be greedy, then there is no problem. Society encourages us in different ways, so do religions encourage us in different ways. As long as we are, it is profitable, as long as it is not painful, we pursue it. But the moment it becomes painful, we want to resist. The resistance is what we call discipline against greed. And do we, are we free from greed through resistance, through sublimation, through suppression? Any act on the part of me who wants to be free from greed is still greed. I, therefore, any action, any response on my part towards greed is obviously not the solution. First of all, I can see that there must be a quiet mind, undisturbed mind, to understand anything especially something which I do not know. Something which I, my mind cannot fathom, as the questioner says, God. To find that, to realize that, to understand that, I, there must be a quiet mind, obviously. To understand anything, any intricate problem, mathematic or relationship or any problem. There must be a certain quiet depth to the mind. And if that quiet depth to the mind come through any form of compulsion, I may compel the superficial mind, it may compel itself and make itself quiet, but surely such quietness is the quietness of decay, death. It is not capable of adaptability, pliability, sensitivity. So resistance is not the way. Now to see that requires intelligence, doesn't it? To see that the mind 
is made dull by compulsion is already the beginning of intelligence, isn't it? And to see that a discipline which is merely a conformity to a pattern of action through fear, because that is what is implied in disciplining ourselves, because we are afraid not to get what we want. And so the mind, what happens when you discipline the mind? when you discipline your being. Surely it becomes very hard, doesn't it? Unpliable, not quick, adjustable. Haven't you know, don't you know people who, who have disciplined themselves? If there are such people, the result is obviously a sense of decay, an inward conflict which is not, which is put away, hidden away, but it is there burning. So our question is then, our problem is, seeing that discipline merely creates a, a habit and a habit is not intelligence and merely resistance. Such a habit is obviously cannot be productive of intelligence. Habit never is. Practice never is. You may be very clever with your fingers by practicing the piano. So our question is then, our problem is, seeing that discipline merely creates a, a habit, and a habit is not intelligence, and merely resistance. Such a habit is obviously cannot be productive of intelligence. Habit never is. Practice never is. You may be very clever with your fingers by practicing the piano or the making something with your hands. But the intelli intelligence is demanded to direct the hand. And we are now inquiring into that intelligence. You see somebody whom you consider happy or realized, and he does certain things. And you, wanting that happiness, imitate This imitation is called discipline, isn't it?
because we imitate in order to receive what he has. We copy in order to be happy, which you think he has. Is happiness come through discipline? And by practicing a certain rules, by practicing certain disciplines, mode of conduct, are you ever free? Surely there must be freedom for discovery, mustn't there? If you discover anything, you must be free inwardly, which is an obvious fact. Are you free by shaping your mind in a particular action, which we call discipline? Obviously you are not. You are merely a repetitive machine resisting according to a certain conclusion, according to a certain mode of conduct. So freedom cannot come through discipline. Freedom can only come into being with intelligence. And that intelligence can be awakened or you have that intelligence the moment you see that any form of compulsion denies freedom, inwardly or outwardly. So the first requirement, not as a discipline, is obviously freedom. And virtue only gives that freedom. Greed is confusion. Anger is confusion. Bitterness is confusion. When you see that, obviously you are free of them. Not that you are going to resist them, but you see that only in freedom you can discover. And any form of compulsion is not freedom and therefore no discovery. Surely the, what virtue does is give you, gives you freedom. The unvirtuous person is confused person. And in confusion, obviously, you can never discover anything. How can you? So, to see that, to see that virtue is not the end product of a discipline, but that virtue is freedom which cannot come through any action which is not virtuous, which is not true to itself. And our difficulty is, most of us have read so much, 
Most of us have followed so many disciplines, superficially, getting up every morning, certain hour, sitting in a certain posture, trying to hold our minds in a certain way, you know, practice, practice, discipline. Because we have been told, if you do these things, you will get that. That do these things for a number of years, you will have God at the end of it. I may put it crudely, but that's what, what is the basis of our thinking. Surely God isn't, doesn't come so easily as all that. That's mere marketable thing. I do this and you give me that. The second extract is from the fourth talk in Bombay, 1964, titled Discipline Means to Learn. Discipline, the origin of that word, to discipline him, means to learn, not to conform, not to follow a pattern set by yesterday or by thousand yesterdays or by the formula of tomorrow or ten thousand tomorrows. Discipline is to learn, to discipline is to learn, not to conform, not to obey, not to accept, not to torture yourself by a pattern, by an idea, by a formula. That's what the society the religion, the technological job, everything has made us discipline ourselves, which is to conform, to imitate, to suppress, or to sublimate. That has not brought us clarity, freedom from confusion, freedom from sorrow. It has not freed the mind so that it can be quiet, feel intensely, without any motive, without any future, without any past, just to feel tremendously. So we know the tortures of discipline from the most insignificant thing as smoking and to give up smoking. What extraordinary conflicts you go through about a little thing just to give up smoking. Though the doctors, the governments have said it's bad for you, may bring cancer, the fear, the punishment, 
you go on. And yet you, in that very act of going on, there is conflict. Because you know you should not for your health, for various reasons. And yet you go on. Because you become a habit. And to break that habit, you form another formula, another habit. So you have another formula, another idea. And that's where we live, always in a state of conflict, always breaking down one habit and falling into another habit of thought, of feeling, of sensation, of pleasure. The sexual habit, the drinking habit, the habit of seeking God, because you are miserable, which is an escape from reality, they're all the same. And according, depending of, upon our tendencies, our erudition, our knowledge, our education, we either intensified that struggle, that conflict, through so-called discipline, Oh, depending upon our tremendous urge or our laziness, we play with discipline. So our minds are always shaped by society, by church, by circumstances. Please follow all this. I am talking about your mind. Don't be caught in the words which I am using. The words are no value at all. Word is a symbol. Word is a means of communication. It's like the telephone. And if you use the telephone, you don't worship the word. What the telephone conveys to you is important. So, we have lived with discipline, with the mores, with the custom, which we call morality. The what should be and what should not be. This is the pattern of our existence, a tortured, ugly, ever-endless strife and misery. Now, can one live without discipline? Because that, that way of disciplining, that way which one has lived for centuries, is a terrible thing is the most ugly form of existence. It only breeds a mechanical mind. You know what happens to a soldier who is trained day after day for months, for years, to obey orders? You know what happens to him? 
Do you know any soldier friend? Have you ever watched him? Functions mechanically, obey all spontaneity, all freedom has gone. As you who go to the office day after day, day after day for forty years, with that terrible boredom, what's happened to your mind too? Watch it. You have trained yourself, you have conformed because you have a family, you have to earn a livelihood, you have to support, we know all the innumerable reasons. So you have to find out how to live in this world which, which demands a livelihood, which asks that you do things day after day regularly, efficiently, constantly, that you have your own lustful desires, sex, and not to make it into a habit, and all the other urges that create habits. How to live in this world? Please listen to this. How to live in this world, surrounded by all this, with complete freedom, without a formula, without twisting the mind, shaping it, to conform or be shaped by society. Because a disciplined mind, in the sense, a mind that conforms, a mind that accepts, the mind that follows, imitates, suppresses, such a mind is a stupid, dull, crippled mind forever. It's a dead mind. Whether it be the mind of the holiest of the sannyasis, or the poor, wretched woman, or the man who steals. One has to live in this world without that kind of discipline, because that you understand it, you see the truth of it. You follow? You see what a discipline implies, conforming, imitating, suppressing, controlling it to live within a certain framework, within a formula, within a pattern whether it is established by society, by religion, by, or by your intellectual capacity or experience. Every form of discipline according to that kind is deadly, destructive, it makes the mind useless. You may function as a machine, but you cannot possibly, under any circumstances, 
find out what is true. Because truth demands freedom. That is, it demands intelligence. That is, this highest sensitivity and this, with this awareness, which is to observe. Now, can you live in this world? Please follow it. Please ask yourself, can you live in this world which is becoming more and more mechanistic? Every boy and girl is trained technologically shaped. Where to live is to conform, otherwise you are destroyed by society. You are pushed out if you are not a Catholic, if you are not Muslim, if you are not a Hindu, Buddhist. Can you live in this world without this destructive traditional weight of a discipline that corrupts, that destroys, that makes the mind ugly? But yet, you, if you see the truth of that, not because I tell you, not because the speaker points out, because you actually see the beauty of that, then you have to ask yourself if you can live in this world without discipline. Not that kind. Can you live without discipline, doing what you like, free, or can you? You can't either. If you do, you'll be in a constant state of endless conflict. So you have to find out for yourself if you can live with intelligence I have, we have explained what we mean by intelligence. It is not a definition of intelligence. It's not that you're going to repeat or dialectically say that's one opinion. There are other opinions, therefore discussing opinions and to find truth in opinions is dialectical way of approach. We are not talking dialectically. We are saying a fact. Whether you accept it, whether you don't accept it is totally irrelevant. Whether you say, that's your opinion. There are other opinions. We are not discussing opinions. There is no truth in opinions. There are thousand opinions because there are thousand men. Each has his own opinion. So we are not dialect dialectically 
which is trying to find out the truth of opinions by analysis. That leads nowhere. What we are pointing out is something entirely different. We are saying that a mind that is extraordinarily alive and sensitive and awake, through observation, observation of facts, a tree is a tree, not what you think about that tree, observation of what you are actually, what is actually, not what you should be, what you think other people have told you you should be, actually what you are. Observing the squalor, the riches, the beauty of the sunset, the calm sea, and the extraordinary quality of a still night. And out of that comes this living quality of intelligence. Now, we need certain kinds of discipline which is to learn. We have to, we are, we are learning. There is no end to learning. Therefore, there is no end to the form of discipline that comes through intelligence. The other discipline, the traditional discipline, which is conforming, adjusting, forcing, suppressing, does not create intelligence, does not bring about this clarity, the beauty and the vitality of intelligence. But where there is intelligence fully operating, active, then out of that intelligence comes the discipline which is constantly learning. You know, to learn anything about a motor, about your job, how to cook, how to wash dishes, anything. To do it properly, efficiently. You have to be learning, learning, learning all the time. Now, if you are learning all the time, not saying, I have learned and what I have learned is good enough and therefore whatever happens is going to be more learned and added to, then you cease to learn. But if you are learning all the time, then that, that mind that is learning all the time brings about its own extraordinary sweet discipline, in that there is no conformity, in that there is no pattern, in that there is no formula, su suppression, obedience. It is living, and every living thing creates its own easy, swift, free efficiency of learning. From that comes the beauty of a mind that is so clear and therefore it needs no discipline. 
this. If you see this, see in the sense, not merely hear what has been said, but if you see with the inner eye, with the in, hear with the with a with the mind of with the ear of the mind, then you will see for yourself the old traditional rotten thing called discipline. I am using the word expressly rotten because look at your own mind, how shallow, dull, insensitive it has become. If you understand this thing called discipline, which has made man into an ugly thing, then if you see the truth of that, it will drop away from you. You don't have to do anything. You see it only, the truth of that, the falseness of that, only when you are highly sensitive. And with that sensitivity and clarity, observe this whole formulation of discipline, then you are out of it. The final extract in this episode is from Krishnamurti's sixth talk in Ojai, 1949, titled Discipline in Meditation. So meditation, the right kind of meditation, is essential. So let us find out what is right kind of meditation. And to find out what is right, we must approach it negatively. Merely to say, this is right meditation, will give you only a pattern which you will adopt, practice, and that will not be right meditation. So as I am talking about it, please follow me and experience it as we go along together. Because there are different types of meditation. I do not know if any of you have practiced them or have indulged in them, gone away by yourself in a locked room, sat in a dark corner and so on, so on. So let us examine the whole process of what we call meditation. First of all, let us take the meditation in which discipline is involved. Any form of discipline only strengthens the self. And the self is the source of contention, conflict. 
That is, if we discipline ourselves to be something, to be as so many people do, this month I am going to be kind. I am going to practice kindliness. Such a discipline, such practice is bound to strengthen the me. You may be outwardly kind, but surely a man who practices kindliness and is conscious of his kindliness is not kind. So that form of meditation, which people call also meditation, is obviously not the right kind. Because as we discussed yesterday, if you practice something, in that the mind is caught, and in that there is no freedom. But since most of us desire to acquire a result, that is, to be kind at the end of the month, or the end of a certain period, because ultimately teachers have said you must be kind in order to find God. And your desire is to find God as the ultimate source of your security and happiness, so you buy God through kindness. which is obviously the strengthening of the me and the mind, which is a self-enclosing process. And anything that encloses, any action that is binding can never give freedom. Surely that is obvious. Perhaps we can discuss it another time, it's not clear. Then there is this whole process of concentration. which is also called meditation. You sit in a cross leg, because that's the fashion from India, or in a chair, in a dark room, in front of a picture or an image, and trying to concentrate on a word, on a phrase, or a mental image. And exclude all other thoughts. I'm sure many of you have done this. And the other thoughts keep pouring in, and you push them out, and you keep on with the struggle, till you are able to concentrate at the exclusion, and exclude everything else. Then you feel gratified. At last you have learned to fix your mind on a point which you think is essential. Again, through exclusion do you find anything? Through exclusion, suppression, denial, can the mind be quiet? Because as I said, there can be understanding only when the mind is really quiet, not suppressed, not so concentrated on idea that it becomes exclusive. There is a master or some virtue or what you will. 
through concentration, fixation the mind can never be quiet. Superficially, at the higher levels of consciousness, you may produce and force stillness. Make your body perfectly still, your mind very quiet, superficially. But that surely is not the quietness of your whole being. So again, that is not meditation. That's merely a compulsion, putting on the brake, constantly. And the engine wants to run full speed, you soften it, you put on the brake. Why, if you are able, you examine every inch, every thought that comes into your being, into your mind. Go into it fully, completely, think every thought out. then there will be no wandering of the mind, because the mind has found the values of each thought. Therefore it's no longer attractive, which means there is no distraction. A mind that is capable of being distracted and resist distraction is not capable of meditation. Because what is distraction? I hope you are experimenting with what I am saying, experiencing as I am talking to find out the truth of all this matter. It is the truth that liberates, not my words and your opinion. We call distraction any movement away from that in which we think we should be interested. So you choose a particular interest, so-called noble interest, and fix your mind on it. But any movement away from it is a distraction. So you resist distraction. But what makes you choose that one particular interest? Obviously, because it's gratifying because it gives you a sense of security, a sense of fullness, a sense of otherness. So you say, I must fix my mind on that. And any movement away from it is a distraction. So you spend your life in battle against distraction and fix your mind on something else. Whereas if you examine every distraction, and not merely fix your mind on a particular attraction. Then you will see the mind is no longer capable of being distracted, because it has understood the whole distractions as well as the attraction. Therefore the mind is capable of extraordinary extensive awareness without exclusion. So concentration 
Ich mache Meditation. And disciplining is what meditation. Then there are prayer. This whole problem of praying, of unreceiving. That's also called meditation. What do we mean by praying? Praying. Supplication, the gross form of it. And there are subtle forms at different levels of prayer. The gross form we all know. I'm in trouble, I'm in misery, physically or psychologically, I want some help. So I go, I beg, I supplicate, supplicate. And obviously there is an answer. If there was no answer, people wouldn't pray. Millions pray. You only pray when you are in trouble, not when you are happy, not when there is that extraordinary sense of otherness. Now what happens when you pray? You have a formula, haven't you? By repetition of a formula, the superficial mind becomes quiet, doesn't it? You try it and you will see. By repeat a certain phrase or phrases or words, and gradually you will see your whole being becomes quiet. That is, your superficial consciousness is calm. And then in that state it is able to receive, isn't it? The intimations of something else. So, through calming the mind by a repetitive words, by a repetition, by so-called prayers, you may receive hints and intimations from not only the subconscious, from about you. But surely that is not meditation. Because what you receive must be gratifying, otherwise you will reject it. So your desire when you pray to, and thereby quieting the mind, is the result of the desire to solve a particular problem or a confusion or something which you have not solved, which gives you pain. Therefore you are seeking an answer which will be gratified. And reverse to that answer is, because you say, I mustn't seek gratification, I will be open to something which will be painful. The mind is so capable of playing tricks upon itself. That one must be aware of the whole content of this question of prayer. Still again that is not meditation, is it? 
One has learned a trick, how to quieten the mind, which it can receive certain answers, pleasurable or not pleasurable. But that's not meditation, is it? And this question of devotion to somebody, pouring out your love to God, to an image, to some saint, to some master, is that meditation? Why do you pour out your love to God? That which you cannot possibly know. Why are we so attracted to the unknown and give our lives, our, our beings to that? This whole question of devotion does it not indicate that being so miserable in our own lives, having no right relationship with other human beings, we try to project ourselves into something, into the unknown, and worship the unknown? You know those people who who are devoted to somebody, to some god, to some image, to some master, are the generally the most cruel people, obstinate. They are intolerant of others. They are willing to destroy others, verbally as well as physically. Because they, they have so identified themselves with that image, with that master, with that experience. So again, the outpouring of devotion to an object, self-created or created by another, is surely not meditation. So what is meditation? If none of these things are meditation, discipline, concentration, prayer, devotion, then what is meditation? Those are the forms which we know, with, with which we are familiar. But to find out that which is not, with which we are not familiar, we have to be free of these things of which we are familiar, haven't we, first. If this is not true, then they must be set aside. Then only you are capable of finding out what is like meditation, isn't it? If we have been accustomed to the false values, to find out the new value, the old values must be, must they not? Not because I say so, because you think it out. 
feel it out. Therefore, if it is not being and they have gone, what have they left? What is the residue of your examination of these things? Do they not reveal the process of your own thinking? Surely, if you have indulged in these things and you see that they are false, you find out why, why you have indulged in them. And therefore, the very examination of these things reveals the way of your own thinking. Therefore, the examination of these is the beginning of self-knowledge, is it not? So, meditation is the beginning of self-knowledge. Without self-knowledge you may sit in a corner, meditate on the masters, develop virtues, there are illusions. and have no meaning for the person who really wants to discover what is right meditation. Because without self-knowledge you will project yourself, self, an image, call it the master, and that becomes your object of devotion, for which you are willing to sacrifice, build, destroy, Therefore, through self-knowledge, and you can have, there is possibility of self-knowledge only as we examine our relationship to these things which I have explained. Then it reveals the process of your own thinking. Therefore there is a clarity in your own being. And therefore there is the beginning and the understanding of self-knowledge. Without self-knowledge there can be no meditation. And without meditation there can be no self-knowledge. Not shutting yourself up in a corner, sitting in front of a picture, developing virtues, month by month, different virtues each month, green, purple, white and all the rest of it or going to churches and performing ceremonies. None of those things are meditation or really spiritual life. Spiritual life begins in the understanding of relationship, which is the beginning of self-knowledge. Now, when you have gone through that and have abandoned all those processes which only reveal the self and its activities, then there is a possibility of the mind not only being superficially quiet but inwardly quiet. Thus all, there is the cessation of all demands. There is no pursuit of sensation. There is no sense of becoming. 
myself becoming some in the future or tomorrow. The master, the initiate, the pupil, the Buddha, the, you know, climbing the ladder of success, becoming some. All that has stopped because all that is implied in the process of becoming. And that becomes, there is a cessation of becoming only when there is the understanding of what is. And the understanding of what is, is shown through self-knowledge, what one is exactly. And then, when there is the cessation of all desire, it can only come through self-knowledge. Then the mind is quiet. The cessation of desire cannot come through compulsion, through prayer, through devotion, through concentration. All these merely emphasize the conflict of desire and the opposite. And when there is a cessation of all these, then the mind is really still. Not only the superficial mind, the higher levels of the mind, but inwardly, deeply. Then only is it possible for it to receive that which is immeasurable. The understanding of all this is meditation, not just one part of it. Because if we do not know how to meditate, we will not know how to act. Action after all is self-knowledge, in relationship. And merely to shut yourself in a sacred room with incense burning, reading phrases of other people's meditations and their significance is utterly useless, has no meaning. It's a marvelous escape. But to be aware of all this human activity, which is ourselves, the desire to be, to attain, the desire to conquer, the desire to have certain virtue, all emphasizing the me as important. In the now or in the future, this becoming of the me, being aware of all that, in its totality is the beginning of self-knowledge and the beginning of meditation. Then you will see, if you are really aware of this, there comes a marvelous transformation, which isn't a verbal expression, which isn't a verbalization, merely repetition which is sensation, but actual, actually, really, vigorously that takes place, a thing which cannot be named, which cannot be termed. And that is not the gift of the few, not the gift of the masters or few people have it. Because self-knowledge is 
possible for everybody. If you are willing to experiment, try. You don't have to join any society and read any book or be at the feet of any master. The self-knowledge liberates you from all that, from all that absurdity, stupidities of human inventions. And then only through self-knowledge and right meditation there is freedom. In that freedom there comes reality. But you cannot have reality through mental process. It must come to you. And it can only come to you when there is freedom from desire.